Hello and welcome to our podcast, What Makes Them Tip? Innovations that change everything, where we hear from business leaders and entrepreneurs about the moment, insight, or inspiration that made everything possible and ultimately pushed them over the tipping point. I'm Mike Strada, founder and CEO of Arcalea, where we inspire business change by introducing data science, formal analytics, and provide implementation from marketing. Moneyball for growth-oriented businesses, we say success is now a science. Stay with us, and at the end of the show, we'll share how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest-growing podcasts in the industry. And with that, let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to What Makes Them Tip. I'm Jeff, and as always, I'm here with the privilege of talking to amazing people doing amazing things and truly innovating in their particular entrepreneurial space. And today, I get the privilege of talking to the CEO of Mindshare Collaborative. Please welcome to the show, Carl Krummenacher. Welcome to the show. Jeff, great to be with you today. Hey, we're glad to have you. Now, tell us a little bit about Mindshare Collaborative. What do you guys do there? Mindshare Collaborative is a, the, the largest community of health and wellness professionals and a community specifically built to help those health professionals with their business. So our focus is creating a healthy business so our practitioners can create healthy humans. Mm. And so tell us a little bit about like uh, some of the ways, some of the services and stuff that you guys offer in order to do that. Yeah, well, probably the best way to tell the story would be just to kind of let you know how Mindshare came to be. Sure. 11 years ago, uh, my partner, JJ Virgin, who is a celebrity a fitness and nutrition expert, was actually attending business conferences trying to learn how to grow her own business. Mm. And she ran into a few other health people and she said, hey, where are all the health people? And there was no place for them to actually gather. And so what started as a lunch at another conference uh, quickly became a weekend retreat and then it was a little mastermind. I actually teamed up with JJ five years ago, and we then had a annual summit, uh, which hosted about 111 of the top health influencers. These are people like Dave Asprey, JJ Virgin, uh, Dr. Mark Hyman, and uh, celebrities, uh, New York Times bestselling authors. JJ herself is a four-time New York Times bestselling author. And today, that organization, our community now, is about 20,000 strong. We host an annual event of 700 uh, this year in the Scottsdale area for the top health influencers. We also run the Health Business Growth Conference coming up in March. Uh, We have a strategic practitioner program where we actually coach practitioners and help them go from being relatively unknown private practice docs and practitioners into well-known celebrities in their markets and in their niche so that they can make a bigger impact and uh, and help more people. We also have a very high-end mastermind for that community as well. That's fascinating. So how, how do you guys um, help these businesses in- innovate in order to, to get that kind of exposure? Well, most doctors are really awesome clinicians. They know how to fix problems of the body. They've studied science and worked really hard at their craft, but they don't know how to actually be found. Uh, Unfortunately, there's no part of medical school or any of the training that other allied health professionals get that says, oh, by the way, here's how to go find patients. And Mm -hmm. so uh, our primary focus is on helping individuals master the art of acquiring their ideal patient. We do that through training. 
Uh, we have a, a robust community of people with a membership community that includes um, trainings that are available for download for discrete things that they're looking for. And, and then, of course, we network and we collaborate. A lot of the things that we're learning is evolving. You talk about innovation. It happens on a regular basis in marketing, as you know. And practitioners are at various levels in their journey. So we'll get together for that conference like we talked about. We'll share best practices, what's going on uh, in the way of, you know, finding ways to go out and use paid media to get clients or to use referral programs. Now, there's a lot of cool things that our practitioners get to do. One distinguishing element of Mindshare that was kind of bragworthy is that our members have collectively earned well in excess of $60 million in publishing book advances uh, before they've even written the first page of any book because our platform as a community is well known by the top publishers. They know that our members have built large followings, uh, that they're awesome at what they teach and do. And so there's a kind of halo effect and, and they get very good book deals. So using a book to become known and an authority would be one of those tools. Summits is another tool that we'll use where a collection of our experts, you know, who have similar interests and skill and, you know, uh, authority as it relates to a particular condition, whether that's Hashimoto's, thyroiditis, for people that have thyroid disease, or it might be people with other autoimmune conditions, will collectively host a summit and collectively advertise the summit so that consumers can become aware that there are smart people that can help them with these given conditions. And so it's really just teaching our members a variety of marketing playbooks so that they can be effective at reaching their ideal client. And how important is that, uh, a, a, I guess, approaching it from the perspective of community, like being able to pull together all of this, this, uh, these people together into this large community. You said there's over 20,000. Um, how important is that to, to some of the success that this has? JJ had? would argue that it's everything. And I think I would agree with her because here's the thing. If you're, a, if you're working at home right now, uh, we're, what, it doesn't matter what business you are. You, you know, you think back uh, 20 years ago, if you were working in corporate America and uh, you were part of the sales team for IBM, uh, you would go to an IBM conference and they would celebrate you. They would have awards for the top salespeople. They would have trainings for you. There was a well-organized system of, of teaching you what's working now, of collaborating, building relationships and learning from each other. It's a great experience. But if you are a solo entrepreneur, and specifically in the health space, if you're a doctor who's working in St. Louis, Missouri, and you're by yourself, you're not part of a large group practice, where do you go? Who do you talk to for help? Who can you learn from? Who can you celebrate your victories with? And who can you ask questions about something you're dealing with now? I think community is the base bedrock of just about anything you want to do successfully, whether you're a marketer and you're involved in masterminds or like your business, Jeff, you know, there might be other people in your industry that you can get together with and learn best practices. So community is important because it keeps an individual focused and centered. It, it's the best shortcut there is. If you have friends and people that you know, like, and trust who've already successfully done what you want to do, it's always easier to ask them because they're going to speak to you in ways that you relate to, as opposed to, hey, I'm going to go online and just grab a program and start you know, going through the pages or watching the videos. If it's not for your niche or your industry or your business, it can be hard to relate to because, you know, all learning is referential. So doctors and health pros who can refer to other things that they deal with in their day-to-day -day life um, makes it easier for them to learn. And 
them already having succeeded at what you want to do, they've also already made some of the mistakes, right? And can pass along how they overcame that and some of the obstacles. I would say nobody should ever learn from anyone who hasn't made more mistakes than they've had wins, because Mm -hmm. it's probably not truth that you're looking at. Every uh, successful practitioner, health pro, uh, online marketer has had more mistakes than they've had wins. It's no different than baseball. If you get three out of 10, you're batting 300 and you're in the Hall of Fame. And it's really no different in business. And so, yeah, being able to say, look, I'm going to help you prevent that mistake. I see where that's going. Here's where we can head that off at the pass. Probably the most valuable education you could get. Yeah. And how long has Mindshare Collaborative been doing this? 11 years. Wow. That's, and that's, that's a huge amount of people to have kind of pulled together in that time. What do you think has been kind of the tipping point for Mindshare to, to, I mean, I I assume at some point there was only a few people (laughs) involved, a few members. Um, What was kind of the tipping point to growing that large? Well, the community was 100% by referral only just until the last year, really. Mm. Uh, You know, it just really, it started out, like I said, as a half a dozen people having lunch together. And they said, this is cool. Look, if you want to invite some friends, let's meet together in six more months. And six months later, it's like, hey, can we, I I have somebody I know, can I invite them? Of course, bring them in. And so this really just started as friends referring friends. It was never intended to actually be a business that was monetized. It's not how it started. JJ had her own successful brand. She used a multi-million dollar business um, that was dealing successfully with consumers in her niche. She helps uh, predominantly women who are struggling with weight loss resistance overcome the barriers and lose stubborn weight that they couldn't deal with. And she developed her reputation, but she was always asking, what other ways can I grow my business? How can I be more successful in growing the impact? And, you know, she had friends and those friends got together and and as she met more and they brought more people in, they just collaborated. So back to your question before, it was all 100% about community. It was community, people inviting others. And then we wanted to make sure there was an event six, seven years ago where there were a couple of people in the audience and they were glazing over. They were at our summit and they're hearing people talking about lead magnets and offers and CPA and CPM and running paid media. And they're like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what you're talking about. And, you know, our concern at that point was we do not want to sell people into a event or a program where it's not right for them. And so at that point, we actually put in a questionnaire and and we actually slowed down our growth intentionally. And so you might have been referred by a friend, but then we wanted to know, are you doing stuff online? Do you have a funnel? Do you know what a website is? Have you built a list? And if the answer was no, then we would give them some, you know, point them in another direction, say, hey, look, you go learn this stuff because you're going to come to our event. You won't know what we're talking about and and you'll get frustrated. We didn't want that. And so we actually built our business backwards. Most businesses like ours, if you think about it, they start with a relatively low dollar offer, working with individuals that have little experience and they give them their first step up. Then they give them the next step up and they continue to ascend the users. We went completely backwards. We started with really the top influencers all collaborating and working together and built a very strong brand as a result of it. And then as we widened and we we started to let more and more people in with less and less experiences, we built programs that could serve them and could help them like our strategic practitioner program now. So 
our growth really would have been faster, I think, but we intentionally slowed it down because we wanted to make sure we could always exceed expectations and keep that community, going back to that initial question, incredibly strong and one that everybody wants to go to. It's a very, very diverse community in every possible way. Uh, it's the only place where you'll find, you know, in health, there's a rare mix of people. You'll find the paleos and the vegans and the carnivores sitting down with the vegetarians, right? And the pescatarians. And, and if you can get them all to sit together and have lunch together and talk about the various ways in which they serve people, that's a big win. Mm. And, and then the other areas of diversity, you know, we have people from all over the world, all races, all creeds, all colors, all backgrounds, all genders. It doesn't matter. It's a very, um, a very receptive place where the common denominator is a desire to make a bigger impact in people's health. The one thing we all have in common, whether they're an MD or a DO or a naturopath or a PhD or a health coach, is that they all really want to make an impact on people's health. And they don't want to worry about their business while they're doing that. Mm -hmm. And and that's the problem, Jeff, is that today, if you think about it, America made a contract with health providers decades ago. And the whole idea was, look, if you'll go to school longer than we would be willing to, if you'll work for nothing and be an intern longer than we'd be willing to, if you'll defer your family so that you can get all this stuff done, and then you're going to be available on a phone call on a moment's notice when our appendix ruptures or we need an emergency surgery, don't worry about the money. We're going to pay you well for your advanced degrees, your education, the risk that you take to serve us and the hours that you'll work. But then they got disintermediated. You know, the insurance companies came in and initially said, hey, look, we'll take care of those patients that might not be able to take care of themselves. Would you like our money? And health practitioners said, yeah, well, great. Thank you. We'll take insurance. And over time, as they were disintermediated from, you know, the patient and the doctor had this third layer come in between them, their world changed. And today, a brand new doctor graduating medical school, doing their residency, getting skilled, even being a diplomat or board certified can start for less than a journeyman plumber doing practicing their craft. That's not right. And so we're trying to make sure that we help them learn how to be healthy in their business as well so that they don't wind up with a lot of stress that they don't need. Because I don't want any stressed out doctors working on me mm -hmm. when that time comes. That's right. So uh, you have described yourself as a lifelong entrepreneur. Uh, tell me a little bit about that, like your own experience, like throughout the different businesses that you've been a part of. I grew up in the back of my dad's camera store. He was a retailer. Every day uh, in the summer, I would spend my days in that store learning how to sell cameras and, and working with customers. Uh, when I was about 17 years old, uh, somebody came in and said, hey, do you know that you could develop pictures in an hour back when the one-hour photo craze was just coming? <laughs> and so I was with my dad, and I'm like, I think we should do this. We should launch a one-hour photo. And so, you know, that's where I got to kind of cut my teeth is uh, working with that uh, business and growing it. We added a one-hour photo. When video came out, it became a camera and video store. We started doing video editing. And, uh, you know, from there, it just grew. I wound up, um, one funny story there was a salesperson that came into our camera store and they were going to sell us a device that would transfer your home movies to videotape. And this device uh, had a variety of pieces of equipment that were all together. And I said, that looks great. Uh, people need that. There's videotape now. There's millions of feet 
of eight millimeter film laying around. Uh, looks like a good idea. What does it cost? And the guy said, it's $30,000. And I laughed. And he said, why are you laughing? I said, I could build that for 10. Mm. And the guy left and he came back two weeks later and he handed me a check for $10,000 and said, were you serious? I said, I'm, absolutely, it's a no brainer. He said, here's $10,000, build me one. And so I did. And that was really my first step outside the camera store. Uh, those guys wound up becoming investors and we started a cottage industry developing uh, film transfer units and selling them all over the world. Uh, that introduced me to um, other people that I would come to cross path with. I was building my own computers like Michael Dell was to drive the video titlers that were in that system. And one thing led to another. Ultimately, I wound up partnering with some other individuals and we had a software company that was the first company that could actually connect the very first PCs before there was Windows or there was a Mac into mainframe networks, notably Digital Equipment Corporation, which is now known as HP, but back then was DEC Computer. My dad and, worked for DEC back in the day. All right. So Ken Olson <laughs> and I shook hands because they bought our company after we wrote the software that would connect PCs and Macs and Unix workstations and, and translate word processing documents on the fly. Because back in the day, you know, in a corporate America, you might have the finance department working on IBM Token Ring mm. and using DisplayRight, and you'd have the marketing department using WordStar. And you'd have people in operations using Multimate and corporates on the all-in-one VAX terminals. And they couldn't talk to one another. They couldn't send email to one another. They couldn't even send documents. And so we created software that would translate those word processing documents on the fly. There were 40 word processors back in the day. And um, ultimately, Digital Equipment bought our company. And uh, that was my first exit. And then after that, uh, was involved predominantly in health. I wound up teaming up with a, uh, a, a new division of the old Rexall drugstores. My dad had been a Rexall pharmacist when he was a younger man. And so I was open to the idea. It was a direct selling arm of Rexall Sundown. And uh, I grew a very large organization of physicians that actually would incorporate these very healthy products into their practice to naturally lower cholesterol, improve cardiac function, deal with allergies and other things. And um, that was a whole lot of fun. It led me into uh, a larger role in a, in a larger company. I became president and chief operating officer of a genetics company where we would actually have the technology where you could swab your cheek and collect your DNA. And we would test 12 SNPs. Uh, SNP is a single nucleotide polymorphism or a variant on your DNA. And we could find out areas where you might be deficient and need additional support and, and actually blend personalized nutrition and skincare made just for you based on your DNA. And uh, so I was part of that company. And it was slightly, it was just after that period of time that uh, I made some investments, make investments in wellness.com company that was actually owned by a friend of mine. And I was asking how he was getting business and leads and I said, have you considered a podcast? Podcasts are actually pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And he said, we'd love a podcast, but nobody here could do it. You've got a decent voice. Why don't you launch a podcast? And I was kind of semi-retired at the time. I thought maybe it's fun. So I took a course in podcasting and launched a podcast. My very first guest was JJ Virgin. I, mm -hmm. I got a group. Um, uh, there's a, an amazing company that I worked with where I just said Jessica Rhodes uh, and she I called her up and said, 
find me all the New York Times bestselling authors in health. Book them on my show. We'll call it Your Best Life. And I'll do an interview show of individuals who are experts in the health. And I'll put that with wellness.com. We'll email it to our list. That'll create some amazing value. That podcast become number one on iTunes, new and noteworthy for eight of the 12 weeks that it was eligible. Uh, to this day, I only recorded 50 episodes, uh, but uh, there's been a million downloads. And that's how I met JJ Virgin. She was my first mm-hmm. guest and a subsequent guest. And then she tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, you should come out to our our summit in Palm Desert. And I went and the rest is history. Wow. Man, that's a lot. You've got, you have such a wealth of experience that I feel like I wish we had more time because I would love to, I feel like I could just pick your brain on lots of things all day long. So let's, uh, I'm going to actually give you a challenge here. And in the remaining minutes here, is there anything you could, could you disseminate all of that wealth of experience down into like some key that we could give our listeners today that would, uh, who are maybe that 17 year old or, uh, you know, later, you know, as they're just starting these new ideas, um, something that would inspire and encourage them, uh, so that they could see the success that you've experienced. I would say probably the number one thing for me that I could share universally with any audience would be taken from a page out of Adam Grant's book. Adam Grant wrote a book called a give and take. And in it, he describes the three basic types of people that are in our universe, three cohorts of people. There's all kinds of ways to describe people. But the three types are the go-giver, the taker, and the trader. And if you think about it, most people show up as traders. They'll find themselves in a situation, a business situation, a personal situation, and they give of themselves a metered amount in the hopes that there'll be reciprocity and they'll get something back one day. And if they start to sense that they're not getting something back, they'll stop giving because they don't feel equity in that relationship. Hmm. There, are, there are takers in the world. Ken, Ken, Ken DeLay of Enron was a taker. They'll craft things to take, take, take. You know people like this. They'll call and ask for favors all the time. They won't hesitate. When there's a need, the phone will ring. Mm-hmm. And there are go-givers. And they did some analysis of these three groups of people. And what they found was early in somebody's career, the takers will do really well. Those people that are go-getters will just go out and get, 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 and they'll go off like a bottle rocket. But eventually the reputation becomes clear and it gets harder and harder for them to ethically continue to grow in advance. The traders do better in the middle portion of their career. They're metering their give, they're metering their tank, they're creating balance and everything seems to be working out. They're going to tap out in the middle portion. The go-givers, they're in it for the long haul, but they dramatically outperform the other two in terms of where they wind up in their career. I, uh, I was blessed by an uncle who was remarkable. He gave freely of himself every day. If you needed anything, he was there to give. And I think I learned that from him. And as a result, in each one of those places that I found myself along that journey, I got there because I freely gave. Oh, you need help with that? Let me do that for you. Oh, you need an idea? Let me build that for you. And uh, I, would, I would say if there's one thing I could distill down in my life, it was I always try to be a go-giver. I give freely. Uh, many people criticize me for it. Uh, as a result, I tend to be a little late to meetings. I run things up to the last minute because I'm busy helping somebody else. But over time, it has paid the greatest dividends in my life. 
and I think is the most universally good thing that anyone could do to succeed. That's amazing. That's great stuff. Great stuff. Uh, before we go, tell everybody how they can find you and, and where, where to go to find out more about Mindshare. Yeah, well, you can go to mindsharecollaborative.com. That is our main site. There's links there to the other things that we do. And that would be targeted for accredited healthcare professionals who are looking for some help in helping them attract more patients, make a bigger impact and expand their reach so that they can have as healthy a practice as they have healthy patients. All right. Thank you so much for being on the show today. And thank you so much for all the, the wealth of information that you shared with us. It's great stuff. My pleasure, Jeff. Thank all you so right. much. And thank Bye-bye. you all for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to our show, What Makes Them Tip, Innovations That Changed Everything. If you're an entrepreneurial leader and you'd like to share the inspiration that changed everything in your business or venture, please visit arkalea.com slash guest and a small request. If you've liked this interview, please help us out by sharing this episode with a friend or on social with the hashtag Arkalea. You can also help us out right now by providing a review in your podcast player and a thumbs up or rating review would help a ton. We promise to read every word and it helps us improve a little bit each day. And while you're at it, please also subscribe because every week you're going to be inspired and learn from other leaders in bite-sized increments. Again, my name is Mike Strada. Let's connect either on social or stay up to date on all things business at arcalea.com. Thanks again for listening and thank you for being part of the over 99% of America's firms that make up the entrepreneurial community. Until next time.